Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, Scott Hamilton hated doing figure eights when he was a kid. Okay, but he kept doing them, and he's glad that he did. Now, Scott, as you probably know, he was an Olympic gold medal figure skater. In fact, I interviewed him about a year ago at one of our Inspiring Stories weekends. Scott's coach made him do hours and hours of figure eights every day. What's a figure eight? Well, it's when a figure skater carves the shape of an eight into the ice again and again and again, first on one blade and then the other blade. And it used to be part of skating competition. Okay, you got points for two things. You got points for your performance routine and you got points for your figure eights called compulsory figures. So in 1984, Scott won the gold medal largely because of his compulsory figures. But then in 1990, the skating committee decided to drop uh, uh, figures, compulsory figures, from the competition. What has happened since? Well, today, some of the younger skaters, they don't have the muscle strength they used to have, skaters used to have, and so there are a lot more injuries. And Scott says, because of the lack of practicing figure eights, skaters today have less agility and balance and uh, composure, poise, and so on. In fact, Scott says that the figure eights he practiced not only led him to Olympic gold, they also, now listen to this, everything I've learned about how to find happiness in life Happiness in life stems from what I learned through the repetition and discipline of perfecting my figure eights. Wow. The value of repetitive practices, disciplines, they will transform. Listen, they will transform your figure skating. They will transform disciplines, your golf game, your money management, your piano playing, your parenting, your physical vitality, and your relationship with God. So welcome to the final week of a three-part series we're calling Bible Everyday. Emphasis here on every day. Every day. Engaging with God's Word as a repetitive practice, as a daily discipline. So we are in the third week of this series, the final week. The Bible is God's Word. We've been making that case over the past couple of weeks. It's God's primary way of communicating with us. It's also God's primary way of shaping our lives so that we become the people that God has designed us to be. You know, but that won't happen if our Bible intake is limited to nothing more than a sermon on a weekend. Or, or even to a sermon on a weekend and a community group lesson in, in the middle of the week. No, we need Bible every day, just like Scott Hamilton needed figure eights every day. So today we're gonna, t- we're gonna talk about what Bible every day looks like. And it starts, yeah, very simply, it starts by getting your hands on one of Christ Community Church's Bible-savvy reading schedule. Now, we've described this many times. We have broken the Bible down into 15 to 20-minute reading segments uh, for everyday usage. 
And if you'll do this every day, over four years, you'll read through the entire Bible cover to cover. And we just finished our first ever four-year read-through. And many of you did that. Congratulations. And Monday, yeah, we can applaud that. Monday, tomorrow, we start with a brand new four-year schedule, jumping into the Gospel of Mark. So if you've not done this yet, if you've not gotten on board, this is a good place to start. This is a good place to start. All right, so get yourself a Bible-savvy reading schedule. You can find it on our website. You could find it on a CCC mobile app. If you're a parent, don't forget, we have, uh, We've retooled our reading schedule so some of the daily readings are shorter than in the past to make them even more accessible to your kids. But merely reading the Bible won't transform your life. See, the, the, the goal of each day's reading is to find something to apply to your life, something from your reading that you could put into practice. And that's when your relationship with God begins to rise to a new level. That's when more and more of the character of Christ takes shape in your life. This is God's transforming book. This is God's transforming book. Now, how does the daily transformation process work? Well, as I said, it begins with reading the Bible, but reading the Bible is the easy part. Okay, all you need is a Bible and a reading schedule and, you know, go to it. But applying what you read from the Bible, transformation is, is much harder to do. What are the steps involved? Okay, that's our focus today. I'm going to walk you through a relatively simple five-step process for putting into practice your daily Bible readings. Now, we used to refer to this as a four-step process, and we called it by an acronym. What's the acronym? COMA. You guys are wonderful. Great to hear some response out there. COMA. Okay. And uh, I actually wrote a book on, on this process for, for Moody Publishers. And uh, the, the name of the book is Walk. It's part of a four-part series called Bible Savvy. It will teach you how to get something out of the Bible for your daily life. But I have to admit from the get-go, I have never been crazy about the acronym COMA. Be because I looked it up in the dictionary and I found that a coma is a state of profound unconsciousness caused by disease, injury, or poison. So, you know, it never seemed quite right to me teaching people how to put their Bible reading in, into practice and calling it a state of profound unconsciousness. Well, one day a high school girl came up to me in the Welcome Center after one of our weekend services and she said, Pastor Jim, I think you ought to rename coma and call it comma. You know, add an extra M because a comma is a pause in a sentence. And isn't this what you want people to do? You want them to pause as they're reading the Bible and listen to God and ask what he's trying to teach them? And I said, that is brilliant. Like, where were you when I was writing this book? I mean, you should have been editing me. So we have added an M to the process. And today, the big reveal is, you're gonna find out what that extra M is all about. All right, so we're gonna start uh, by looking at a passage of scripture, we're gonna do coma, now comma, we're gonna do it on a passage of scripture, Psalm 1. So if you got a Bible, turn to the middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter one. We're gonna read this Psalm together, it's only six verses long. 
And then we're gonna talk about how to put what we've read into practice, the five-step comma process. And here's step one. It's the C, and this hasn't changed at all. So what does the C stand for? Context. Way to go. Context. Now, let me read Psalm 1 to you, and then we're going to talk about context. Okay, if you've got your Bible open, you could read along with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll see the words on the screen. Even if you're at home watching this, I want you to read out loud with me. So we're going to do this together with your outside voice. Here we go. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Now, I want you to imagine this. Okay, I go to your mailbox this week. You look out your window. I'm standing next to your mailbox. And I reach in and I pull out a letter that's been sent to you by a personal friend about a private matter. And I open up the letter and I read it. Now, what would you say? Okay, you'd probably start by saying, I'm going to report you to the police. But, but yeah, stick with me. That's not what I'm fishing for. You would probably say something like this. Pastor Jim, you're not going to get anything out of that letter. I mean, f first of all, you, you don't know me that well. And secondly, you don't know the friend who wrote this letter to me. And thirdly, you don't know anything about the topic that they're addressing in this letter. So this letter is going to be uninteresting, unintelligible to you. Exactly. And that's what happens when we read the Bible and try to get something out of it for our lives. Okay, if you don't know anything about the original audience to whom it was written, and there are 66 books in the Bible, but all written to people who lived thousands of years ago in a totally different culture than the one you're living in today. And if you know relatively little about the people who wrote the letter or the book, uh, or the prophecy in, in, in the Bible, okay? You, you don't know about David the king or Amos the fig tree farmer. You don't know anything about Dr. Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke or Paul the tent maker or Peter the fisherman. And if you, you know relatively little, maybe squat about what, why they wrote the book they wrote. Okay, why did Moses write Leviticus? Why did Micah write his prophecy? Why did Matthew write his gospel about Jesus when there were a couple other gospels out there already? Okay, why did Paul write his New Testament letter to the church gathered in, in, in the area called Galatia? Why? What was the problem that he was addressing? If you don't understand the background, the context of the passage you're reading, it's going to be... Not so interesting, not so intelligible to you. Kind of like the letter that I took out of that mailbox. You get it? So, good. So, I'm so out of habit here. So where do you get this information? 
Where do you get this background, this historical setting and, and whatnot? Well, you, you could take the course I took. You, know, you could go to school for years and years and years and get a bachelor's and a master's and a doctorate. And it's kind of expensive and time consuming. So let me give you a simpler, less expensive way of discovering context. I'm gonna give you two resources. Okay, one resource is an NIV study Bible. An NIV study Bible has an introduction, a two to three page introduction for every book of the Bible. All 66 books have their own introduction. Now you say, well, that's cool, but I don't own an NIV study Bible. Well, that is easily remedied. Okay, you could get one for 25 bucks. All right, so we sell them at our bookshops at our four campuses. You could go on Amazon and purchase one and have it delivered right to your home. Pay a little more to get a leather bound if you want. Uh, I have one on my phone as well as my hard copy in my desk drawer at home. I've got one on my phone, an electronic copy that goes with me everywhere because I consider this to be the most important tool, most important resource you could own when it comes to understanding God's word. And so I'd recommend you pick one up. And so every time you, you start a new book of the Bible, when we're, we're following the reading schedule, you can find out who is this written to and who wrote it and what was the historical situation and what was the problem being addressed. Here's a second resource, Bible Project videos. How many of you have found Bible Project videos? Okay, a number of you. They are delightful. There is a five to 10 minute video on every single book of the Bible. And it'll give you the historical background and the theme of that book. And there's a little animated drawing that goes on that captivates your attention. Uh, I mentioned this to a friend of mine and she watched a, a Bible project video on the treadmill one day and she loved it. And so over the course of the next several weeks, she watched one after another till she watched all 66 and was probably in better shape too because she did it all on the treadmill. All right, so Bible project videos. Now, since the Bible passage for today's sermon is, is Psalm 1, I read the introduction to the book of Psalms in my NIV study Bible, and then I watched the eight minute and 59 second Bible project video on the book of Psalms, and I learned a ton that helped me understand the background to Psalm 1. You say like, what? Well, 150 Psalms. 150 Psalms written over about a thousand year period. I learned that the Psalms are poems that have been set to music so God's people could sing them in worship. I learned that the word psalm means a song accompanied by instruments. I learned that although there are a variety of people who wrote psalms, about half of them, 73 out of the 150, were written by King David. Okay, I, I, I learned that in AD 500, when God's people came back from exile, came back from captivity, some dude put all these psalms together, collected all the psalms over a thousand years, put them all in one book, and then he wrote an introduction to the book, and the introduction is called Psalm 1. So the compiler of the book of Psalms wrote Psalm 1 to introduce us to the theme of this book, and I learned that the theme of the book is that God is a great and mighty king, and the wise person is the one who walks in obedience to his word. Wow, that's a theme that will pop up again and again and again in psalm after psalm. Even though the psalms differ in many ways, 
I mean, some of them, they're all songs, but some are songs of praise and some are songs of lament and some are songs about how God rescues his people in difficult times and some are songs of confession. But although they differ in the kind of psalm they, they, they are, what they all have in common is this theme that God is a great and awesome king. And the wise person is the one who walks in obedience to his word. Now, I could tell you a whole lot more about Psalms from what I learned in my NIV study Bible intro and in my eight minute and 59 second video, Bible project video, but we don't have the time. But let me just remind you, C stands for context. What does the O stand for? Call it out if you know. Oh, I'm hearing it. That was a little weak though. How about one more time? Observations. Observ How many of you guys can pick out constellations when you're looking at the stars on a clear night? How many of you know how to do that? Okay, I'm not just talking Big Dipper. Even I can pick out the Big Dipper. But you, you know there are 88 constellations that can be seen with a naked eye, so we're talking about Orion and Ursa Major and Aquarius and, and 88. Now, if you don't know what you're looking at, you, you go out and you look up at the stars and all you see are a bunch of random stars. So wouldn't it be nice to know what you're looking at? Well, if you wanna know, there's a, a, a phone app you can get called Skyview. Uh, and, and then you hold your phone up to the night sky and it, it will tell you, it will identify what you're looking at. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was an app that you could hold up to your Bible reading for the day and it would tell you what to look for? Okay, this is what you're supposed to observe. Well, I don't know of any app that works that way, so what I'll do is I'll give you four things to look for. In every Bible passage you read, here are four things to look for. Again, if you don't know what to look for, you'll probably never apply the Bible what you read to your life. Four things, and they go by an acronym. We came up with another acronym, okay? So this is an acronym within an acronym. So the overall, the big acronym is COMMA, C-O-M-M-A. The O stands for observations, four kinds of observations, T-R-T-S. I call them treats. It's an easy way to remember it. You look for treats when you read God's word. So what does the T stand for? The first T stands for theme. So when you read a Bible passage, the first thing you want to look for is the theme of the passage. Okay, you want the big picture. Before you get into the nitty gritty, before you, you start taking it apart and look at verse, individual verses and lines within verses and words within lines, you want the big picture. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, sometimes you got to step back and see the forest and not just the individual trees. It's so what you want to do when you read the Bible. You want to start by looking at the theme. You say, well, great, how do you know what the theme is? Oh, this is really, really simple. See, in almost every Bible, every section of Scripture has a heading over the top of it. It has a title, and the title is the theme. So it's real easy to do. Sometimes you read a chapter, and there may be two or three sections within that one chapter, each with their own title. Now, unfortunately, there's one book of the Bible that doesn't have headings. You know what it is? Psalms. Psalms doesn't have headings. 
Okay, so we read Psalm 1 and you say, well, I don't have the advantage of the heading. How do I know what the theme is? Well, here's what you do. You, you read the Psalm and then you ask yourself the question, what is this Psalm about? That's it. <laughs> what is this Psalm? If I had to sum up this Psalm in one sentence, what would it be? So we read Psalm 1 together. If you had to sum up Psalm 1 in one sentence, what is Psalm 1 about? Well, I actually got a little help here. Okay, I discovered when I read the footnotes about Psalm 1, see, an NIV study Bible not only has an introduction, it's got footnotes on every page. And when I read the footnotes, I discovered that the theme of Psalm 1 is the doctrine of the two ways. The doctrine of the, yeah, the doctrine of the two ways. See, we go through life constantly facing forks in the road. You're going to choose this way or this way. Two roads. Which road are you going to take? Okay, you're going to take the right path, that's God's path, that's the wise path. That's the road that leads to life and to flourishing and to fulfillment. Or are you going to take the wrong road, that's the sinful road, the foolish, stupid road, the road that leads to self-destruction and despair, the doctrine of the two ways. Remember my sermon from two weeks ago? Say, yes, of course, Pastor Jim, I never forget a sermon of yours. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus told a story about two builders. B builder one, he built his house on the rock. He stands for the person who listens to God's word and puts it into practice. Builder number two, the foolish builder, built his house on the sand. He represents the person who listens to God's word but doesn't put it into practice. Two ways, the doctrine of the two ways. You see it constantly in scripture. You're gonna go this way or you're gonna go this way. So, so look at Psalm one with me. Once again, opening verse describes a person who walks in step with the wicked, stands in the way that sinners take, sits in the, in the, in the company of mockers. That's the wrong way. Verse two describes the person who delights in God's word, who's constantly meditating on the word day and night. That's the right way. So the psalmist is asking us the question, which path are you gonna take? You're going to take God's way or the other way? Where are you going to get your direction in life? Who are going to be the influencers in your life? Is it going to be peer pressure and social media and the news and movies, the world? Or is it going to be God's word? Where are you going to get your, your direction? Two ways. Okay, let's go back to TRTS, treats. We're making observations about our daily Bible reading. And the first observation we make is the theme. Then there's an R. Do you remember what R stands for? Call it out if you do. Repeating words or ideas. See, if God says the same thing, in fact, uses the same words, and he says it again and again, two times, five times, nine times in the same passage, you know this is what he wants to get your attention about. Sometimes it's words, sometimes it's ideas. So we look at Psalm chapter one, okay, and do we see any repeating words or ideas? Well, when I see them, I circle them. So I'm looking at verse one, and I circle the words, the way. Don't stand in the way that sinners take. Because when I got to, to verse 6, I noticed the way two more times. 
The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Repeating words, the way, the way, the way. Okay, any other repeating words? Well, look at verse two. Mentions God's law twice. The law of the Lord, his law. I circled the word law. Pops up twice. Drop down to verse three. Okay, in verse three, we don't have repeating words, we have repeating ideas. Verse three describes a person who meditates on God's word as being like a tree planted by streams of water, and then three descriptors are given. Who yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. That's a repeating idea, flourishing. The person who meditates on God's word flourishes. Repeating words or ideas. Okay, we're making observations. We're reading Psalm 1. We note the theme. We note repeating words or ideas. The second T stands for, call it out if you think you know. Oh, there's less calling out on that one. Truths about God. Now, friends, this is the big default observation. Keep this one in mind always. If you're ever reading the Bible for the day and you say, well, I got absolutely nothing out of that. You ever have one of those days? Even pastors have those days. Like, what am I supposed to get out of this text? Always look for something you can learn about God. What does the passage say about God the Father or Jesus, who's God the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Okay, truths. Are there truths about God in Psalm 1? Well, I could pick out a couple. You know, one of them I just noted as a repeating word in verse two, God's law. So one of the things I learned about God is that his word is his law. He expects his word to be obeyed. It's not his suggestions or a book full of good ideas. This is God's law. Here's another thing I learned about God. Drop down to verse six. It begins, he, meaning God, watches over the way of the righteous. God watches over the the way. So if I'm walking in accord with God's word, God's got my back. God's looking out for me. I, I am never out of God's sight. If on occasion I feel like, where are you, God? Hey, God's right there. Something I learn about God. So Truths about God, observations, theme, repeating, words or ideas, truths about God, and the last is an S, and I'll put it down. If you know it, call it out. Yeah, right, good, I'm hearing it. Something surprising. And this is a hard one to explain because what surprises you is different than what surprises me. But as I'm reading the Bible, something will jump off the page at me and I'll just put a check mark or circle it or what. I'm not exactly sure at the time why, why it caught my attention, but then I go back and I think about it. Now, there, there were a couple of things that caught me by surprise in Psalm 1. Okay, when I read verse 1, I read about the guy who took the wrong path. It says that he walked in the wrong way and then he stood in the wrong way and then he sat in the wrong place. Did you see that? progression from walking to standing to sitting and I thought to myself that's intentional that you know spelling it out that way that's how we get in trouble right we're walking past trouble and then it's oh let's check this out and then we sit down in it this can happen while we're surfing the internet 
It could happen when we're walking by a conversation in the hallway at school and we hear some gossip and we stop and then we engage, we sit down as it were in the middle of it. Here's something else I found surprising. When I read about the person who meditates on God's word, you know, I read that this person, uh, verse two, verse three, I forget where it is now, I won't stop and look, but this person meditates on God's word day and night. And that jumped off the page at me. I thought, day and, that's a lot of time in the Bible. We're, we're not talking about five minutes of quick reading the Bible, we're talking about saturating your life with God's word. Something surprising, theme, repeating words or ideas, truths about God, something surprising, look for treats. We're now up to the M. So C stands for? That was weak. Okay, C stands for? Context. O stands for? Observations. M stands for? Don't say it because this is the new one. You don't know. Okay, so let me tell you what the new one is. Meditation. Now, that high school girl came up to me in the welcome center and she said, Pastor Jim, coma ought to be comma because a comma is a pause in a sentence and people ought to pause as they're reading the Bible and I say, that's a great idea. That's what meditation is. Now, in one sense, meditation happens throughout the entire process. That's one of the reasons I left it out of my book. It's kind of implied. It happens the whole time you're reading the Bible and trying to make application of it to your life. You're you're rolling lines over in your mind. You're asking yourself the question, Holy Spirit of God, what do you want me to see here? Now keep in mind that when you make observations based on treats, you're probably gonna come up with more than one observation. You may come up with two or three or five observations in the text. So meditation begins when you ask the Holy Spirit, which of these observations do you want me to make into an application? You only wanna choose one. You you don't wanna try to apply everything you read that day, you'll be overwhelmed. You know, years ago, I took my one and only golf lesson. Okay, I was golfing fairly regularly at the time, but I was consistently slicing my drive. Okay, my shot off the tee, and I was ending up in the woods or the next fairway over, and so I decided to pay a pro to help me straighten out my drive. And I paid him for 30 minutes of his time, and he adjusted everything. He adjusted my stance, my grip, my backswing, my follow-through, my head position, and I was so overwhelmed, I applied none of it. It did nothing to transform my golf game. When you make all these observations as you're reading the Bible, it's gonna do you no personal good. No transformation is gonna take place unless you say, okay, what is the one observation you most want me to hear, Holy Spirit? You choose one. You choose one. And then you begin to mull it over. You chew on it like a dog with a bone. You know, is, is, is there some sin here that God is putting his finger on? He wants me to confess. Is there a, a promise? Is, is I'm, am I drawn to this because there's a promise to claim for my life? Is there an example in, in, in this verse that I'm looking at here? Uh, Daniel or David or Esther or whoever, their, their life is an example for me. Is there a command here, something I'm supposed to do or to not do? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just rolling it over again and again and again in my mind. Meditation. And that leads to the next M. And the next M, we're back on terra firma here. Do you remember what the next M is? 
message. Okay, you're asking yourself the question based upon this one observation you've chosen. What is the message God wants me to get out of this? Okay, so Psalm 1. I begin because it's the first chapter in the book of Psalms. I say, I need the context. So I sit down and I read my NIV study Bible intro and I watch the Bible project video about it and then I read the passage. I've done context. I make observations of theme and repeating words and ideas and truths about God and something surprising. And then I choose one of those one of those observations to make into a message. I say, Holy Spirit, which of these do you want to draw my attention to? Now, friends, message is the hardest part of coma to get the hang of, but once you get the hang of it, you will start seeing messages, life lessons, timeless principles in every passage you read. So a message is something that is not just true for me and applicable to me, it's something that is universally true, it's applicable to anybody who would read that text. So let me go back to three or four of the observations I made as I read Psalm 1, and let me turn every one of them into a message so you can kind of see how it's done. Okay, so one of the observations I, I, I made is that the theme of this chapter, this Psalm 1, is the doctrine of the two ways. You could take God's way or you could take the wrong way. What if I want to turn that into a message? What is the universal, timeless truth that I, I get out of that? Okay, look for God's path when making a big decision. Okay, look for God's path. Don't take the wrong path. That's the message. Simple. Okay, what about, I said in verse 2, I noticed a repeating word, law, God's law, that he calls his word his law. It's not just his suggestions. What's the message that I get there? Well, I might write it down in my journal as something like this. You know, take God's word seriously. Or don't blow off God's word. Or God expects his word to be obeyed. I, I, I'll put it in any of those ways. That's the message there. Okay, what about the one that I said surprised me, that you're supposed to meditate on the Bible day and night? That's a lot of meditate. What's the message there is to saturate your life with Scripture. That's the message. Not just a little bit. Get as much as you can. You know, if I wanted to put in a pithy message, I might say, more Bible, more blessing. Because verse 3 describes this tree that flourishes. That's the person who gets more Bible in their life. See how that's done? That's how you come up with a message. But we're still not done. Okay, this is an important break point here. This is the pivot point. Up till now, you've been gathering Bible information. This is where it becomes Bible transformation. This is where it begins to change your life. If you stop here, all you get is more Bible knowledge. But nothing happens in your life. You don't become more like Jesus. Okay, so you got to do the message, and then you bring it home to an application. This is where you make it personal. Now, this past week, I got some really great news about a friend of mine. Uh, I'll call him Joe, because that's his name, actually, uh, Joe. And so Joe runs a company... And his company was just awarded by Fortune Magazine, was just named the number one best mid-sized company to work for in, in the entire country. Isn't that an honor? 
oh my goodness. And what I loved about hearing that is, you know, I know for a fact that Joe runs his company based on biblical principles. In fact, he's led other business owners through a Bible study called Business by the Book, and the book is God's book. But here's the deal, friends. Joe doesn't just know the biblical principles for running a company. Joe puts the biblical principles into practice. That's what's transformed his business. That's why it's number one in the country. So it's not knowing biblical principles that is going to change your life. It's putting them into practice. So how do you do that? Okay, let's go back. Let's work the process one more time. One of the observations I made is that this is the doctrine of the two ways, God's way or the wrong way. That's the observation. What was the message I got from that? Look for God's path when making a big decision. Okay, what's the application? I look at my life and I say, okay, what big decisions am I facing? Am I facing a decision at work or in my parenting? Or if you're single in my dating life, got a decision to make here? Okay, I need to choose God's path. So that might involve praying about this or going to a friend and saying, I got this decision to make. Any Bible verses that come to your mind that speak into this? That's the application. Bringing it home to me. Okay, or, or I said another observation is that God calls his word his law. He wants it to be taken seriously. Don't blow it off. He expects it to be obeyed. It's not suggestions. It's law. What was my message? My message was, you know, again, take God's word seriously. Okay, so now I make it into an application. I look at my life and I say, any commands of scripture that I know I'm blatantly disobeying, Okay, I've kind of treated them as, that's a nice idea. Maybe I'll get around to it, but I probably won't. Whoa, this is God's law. So maybe for you, you've heard about money management and bringing a tithe. God gets the first 10% of your, your income brought back to him in an offering. It's right there in scripture. Do you treat that as if it's a suggestion or do you treat it like, this is God's law. I need to obey this. If you've not been doing it, then your application is to figure out a way to do it. Maybe you, you need to go online and find out about online giving so that you're doing this with regularity. Or, or maybe it's this. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for some time and you've never gone public. You've never gotten baptized. Well, the Bible says that's a, a principal step for you to take to openly acknowledge before friends and family that Jesus is the Savior and King of your life and you do that through baptism. Okay, we got a baptism coming up in several weeks here, and you need to go online this week. This is the week, and hear about the online course. It's a one-shot course that you could take, or you could do it in person, and you could be part of our next baptism, which, by the way, we're not doing in the service itself because of COVID. So you'll get a personal appointment to come and get baptized, and we'll film it all, and we'll show it in a service. But do it. If, you, if you've been neglecting it, take God's word seriously. Those are just a couple of suggestions. There are probably others that you could think of. We've covered a ton of material today. Way to go for paying attention. This has been more like a workshop, right, than a sermon, which means you need to go back and watch this sermon probably two or three more times to get the hang of comma. But once you do, God will begin to use his word to transform your life.